welcome to ArchiSpeak, a podcast about all things architecture. My name is Neil Pan. Join me and my co-hosts, Evan Troxell and Cormac Phelan, every other week as we explore what it is like to work in the profession of architecture. Have you ever worked with an architect? Have you ever wanted to be an architect? Maybe you're in school and you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Or perhaps you know exactly what it is like as you've been working in the profession for a long time and you know that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Or maybe, just maybe, you're planning on changing the world. Join us as we have a casual conversation about all things architecture. It's time for some Speak. Welcome to episode 97 of the Speak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And this episode of Speak is sponsored by our good friends over at Arcat. Check out all the features they offer over at arcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. First up, we have a friend of the show to announce. We've got Linda Zaff, who is in East Aurora, New York. Thanks, Linda, for becoming a friend of the show. I think you're a repeat friend of the show. Definitely been a friend of ours on Twitter for a long time. And uh, let's see what she says. She says, I'm celebrating and sharing this week, celebrating her birthday and sharing the love. Yes. Happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday. We, we really appreciate uh, you yeah, sending us this note. Neil. Not as old as Neil, that's for sure. <laughs> she loves ArcSpeak Podcast and wishes us continued success. So thank you very much, Linda. That's that's very nice, and we really appreciate it. If you'd like to become a friend of the show and help support the show, you can do that at com slash donate. And uh, if you donate anything over $5, we'll read your name on the show if you want. And if you don't want, that's fine, too. But we appreciate all donations. They do really help make the show possible. That's it for the Friends of the Show this week. What else we got here? Well, this episode, coming off the heels of our How to Survive a Bayonet Attack in the Architectural Office, um, we wanted to talk a little bit more survival. You know, the summer's coming to a close. A lot of our summer interns are getting ready to go back to school and hit the books and go on to the next school year. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about them. architectural school survival how did That'd we be... survive how did you survive and how they can survive so so take an e-tool to school with you <laughs> exactly and a can opener <laughs> don't forget if you need you know if the teacher comes at you with his bayonet of words or wit or wisdom you know you can good old uh, e-tool to the head and gives you a couple <laughs> at least gives you a couple more hours more of work Till they come, till they were keep a printout of that that diagram we had in our show notes last week with you at all times. That's right, exactly. So uh, yeah, this is this is the list of I don't know if if you guys have a list. I think it's going to be kind of just what's off the top of our heads. But this is one of those lists I wish that I had before I went to school. And I, I you know there weren't podcasts when we went to school, so there weren't ways to get this information right because the internet was so so new. Neil, was the internet even around when you went to school? Uh, not when I, well, the World Wide Web wasn't when I started. That's right. But computers as big as uh, classrooms were. <laughs> Thanks, right. Cormac. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> Rub it in. All right. So, so who's got a survival tip for architecture school? Who wants to start us off? It was interesting. So we have one of the, one of my pod mates um, is, she teaches at the University of Maryland, and she was teaching a course on, I'll apologize to her in advance about 
not knowing exactly what the course was called, but essentially it was how to use BIM in practice. And I got to uh, sit in on their final presentations. They came into our office and did some final presentations. And it was interesting to talk to them a little bit and listen to a couple of professors were there, you know, she being one of them. Her husband uh, is also a professor there and a couple of recent grads and then a couple of the students. And we were talking about the apathy of the disconnect between the profession and school and things like that. And I don't know if this is necessarily a list topic, but this is kind of a a bit of advice that I gave one of our interns that's going back to University of Maryland and continuing on her master's program. You see what the practice is. You see what you're doing in school and you can see the C between them and the disconnect. See the C. <laughs> you can see the C and the disconnect between practice and academia in certain aspects. And it is closing and it's, it is changing, you know, and I don't want to be too negative about some of the things that we've talked about in the past. And because I do see that, you know, there's an evolution in the education to kind of start to slowly close that gap between what profession is and what the academia is, but there is still, it still exists. And what I was trying to explain to her is that you see what's going on. And now you have the tools that are available to you on how to close the gap between what you know you're going to need coming into the profession, especially early on in the profession, and what you are getting and what you're not getting in school. And use your knowledge of that gap to kind of help guide your career in school to filling in those blanks, making yourself more marketable, making yourself the person that the firm, once you graduate, wants to hire over everybody else that will be going after those same jobs. And one of them, obviously, is get more experience, spend more time working in an office, try to get those summer internships. If you can't get them with the big coveted architecture firms that are out there, go to the small firm. Go to an engineering firm. Go somewhere that you will have some exposure to the professional life and the practice so that you're able to make yourself more valuable. Because when a firm is looking for a new hire, they're looking for somebody that knows how to navigate around a professional office. And if you're the person who's graduating with no professional experience and you're going up against somebody who has professional experience, Go ahead and take the wild guess on who exactly it is that's going to get the job over the other person. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how it is when, with your firm, Evan, or Neil with yours, but we do look at people who, you know, obviously you're going to look for people who've got, you know, the drive and all that other stuff, but you're going to look for the person who has the professional experience. Yeah, I think that's all good advice. I mean, there's, I, I would even go so far as to say, and I'm sure we've said this before, but get different types of experience, work at different size firms. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So that you've got the small firm, the medium firm, the large firm experience, if if you can, the construction experience too. learn how things go together. So I, well, I think you, all that all that plays together into that. And, and just more experience is better than less. Right. So I don't know if it matters how how corporate or how what 
specific type of experience it is, but any t- anything you can bring to a firm that's that's not just academic is going to be a good thing. Well, you know, you've got the you you obviously have got like the the Starkitect firms that everybody wants to have that on their resume. And when I was in school, everybody wanted the rural studio on their resume because and still do, and and with good reason. I, I believe that that gives you a lot of really terrific practical experience. So, what did you guys do? to gain experience uh, through the summer and what kind of firms did you work for? Or what kind of jobs did you take? I mean, what was interesting about mine is, you know, not only did I work for a couple of different architecture firms of varying sizes and varying degrees of different project types, but I also worked on a roofing crew, learned how to basically install and flat roofs and flashing and, and all these other things. And the one thing that I know for certain when I'm working on a project is how to detail a flat roof because I know how to install them. Yeah. Well, I, I went to work for the firm that I work for now, actually. So not, I haven't worked there since I was in college, but that that's where I got my initial internship. And I've done so many different things there. Uh, when I started, you know, I was working in what we called entitlements, which was I basically did spreadsheets and uh, like floor plan diagrams for to get funding for schools. Hmm. And okay. uh Ended up doing building the first three websites for the company. I designed school. I did like panoramic photography. I just kind of did whatever. I, I I made blue line prints in the in the print room, and and got uh, choked out by the ammonia. ammonia. I mean, there's there's so many things that when you when you're an intern, you just kind of do whatever anybody needs you to do, right? And that's that's basically what I what I did when I was working there. So I did that for two years and ended up getting hired there when I got out of school full time and continued to work there for four more years and before I left to to go do other things. But um, and now I'm back again. But I definitely now wish that I would have been given the advice to go work at different sized firms each summer and yeah. and just get a wider range of experience so that you can have a a big picture vision of what the profession is like so that you can then kind of pick after you graduate where you really want to start digging in and and applying your talents and your specific desires and career goals so that you can be intentional about it instead of just getting the first job you can get and just waiting for them to tell you what to do. And then that that just becomes a, a cycle that's hard to break out of once you're working for a firm and just constantly kind of reacting to what people are asking you to do. It's it's much better if you have, like I say, just like a, a sense of intention about how, what you want to get out of your career so that right, you, you right. plot that path out for yourself. Right. What about you, Neil? What did you do during school? Well, actually, before I get to that, I want to just touch on what Evan just said, which I think is a fantastic idea, quite the opposite of what I did. But I I think one of the traps that uh, interns, you know, people, students working in, you know, during summers and such get into is that they go work at a firm and they get, they have a good experience maybe over that summer. And then, of course, the firm wants them back because, okay, we've invested some time in you. You kind of know our systems, how we do things, and we'd love to have you back. It's almost like the guaranteed job the next summer or the next uh, spring break or something if you do that. And that's all well and good, but I think that you are missing out on an opportunity to do exactly what Evan just said, which is to get a broader picture of different sized firms or different product types. If you're able to do that and maybe over two or three summers, get some broader experiences. I think that'll definitely give you a leg up on what you're going to want to do in your career. In my case, 
I kind of just actually I started working before I actually went to college. So I just I ended up with a job with a small firm, you know, one person office really, and just kind of went from there and then decided, hey, maybe I'll I'll give this architecture uh, thing a try and just kind of went that direction and then kind of took a job and went to school and kept those jobs in between schools uh, during the summers. Um, there, there were a couple of bumps in the road there because at the time the economy tanked and I lost one job that, I mean, the firm closed and then went to another firm and that ended up dying after a couple of years. And so anyway, I had some bumps in the road along, along the, that path, but when we were just coming out of the poor economy, the early nineties, I took a job working for a residential, mostly residential firm and, and ended up setting my career for pretty much for the next you know, 26 years after, or almost 20, 20 plus years after that. And it's been a good career. And now I'm, you know, I'm perfectly happy with the type of work that I do for the most part, but I didn't really take advantage of what Evan said is, is trying out different firms. And who knows if I had taken that opportunity to maybe do that might've had a, a different career. So I, I definitely want to say that's a good way to do that. If you can. Well, think about what you've learned by going that path and working through different economy dips and changes and things like that and seeing how the profession has reacted to those changes in, in the economy. And it basically sort of helped kind of or, or at least educate you on surviving the profession through just witnessing all of these different changes. And while you were interning, you saw several different changes in the profession as a reaction to the economy. And I don't know if it's helped you or not, or, or guided you, or at least just, you know, something that was stuck in the back of your head as, oh, well, you know, I saw that they did this and yeah, maybe I won't do that if it ever happens to me. It, it, it you know what it taught me, Cormac, and, and this is good advice for anybody, whether you're in school, entering your last year or just starting school or just a seasoned professional work hard and diversify and be as useful as possible because those are the people that firms tend to keep. If you're a one trick pony, you know, unless you're super good at it or your name is partially on the door, those are the people that get cut and be flexible, right? I mean, there's always been these transitions of either one plat software platform or, or another and your willingness to learn the different ones and just be very flexible uh, I think are important skills and advice to really anyone because that'll keep you the most valuable to, to any firm. So, I mean, that, that's kind of, kind of a little off subject, but I think that that's, that's something that's very important. One tip, uh, since we were talking about tips of, about going back to school and I know, I think we've mentioned this before, but I just, since we're talking about tips of, of going back to school, I just wanted to throw out there that no all nighters, you know, get, get some sleep. That that's, if you're entering your first, second, or third year of architecture school, or your last year of architecture school, get some sleep and enjoy the experience as well. I would say, but uh, but definitely get some sleep. Totally tag onto that one, and, and and just even broader is just take care of yourself. You know, you not only sleep. I mean, that's huge, but eat well, be healthy, um, do all the stuff that's going to make you sharper and be able to think better. Like no one operates well on no sleep and junk food, right? And while while that definitely happens quite often, uh, you also can just, if you just observe what's going on around you, you'll see like the 
the crappy ideas people have uh, when, when they're doing that, because there's no way that you're thinking your best when you're treating yourself like that. And so glad you I think even point. bigger than that, what? I said, I'm glad you're making that point, because if, if you didn't, I was going to jump in and, and say that very thing. So, yeah, I'm glad. And even so, if you if you even wind that back a little bit further, I think what it comes down to, and this this leads into a range of of these types of things that that a lot of people these kind of traps that that architecture students fall into, which is just get really good and take it really seriously. Manage your time and set priorities. If you don't manage your time well, you are going to be up all night doing all nighters. I mean, there's no way around that because no matter what, you have to finish and. I guess this kind of plays into another tip I have too, what I'll get to in a minute. But if you can't manage your time and if you can't say no to things, right, which is all about setting priorities, you have to decide what's important. You basically will not do well in architecture school. So even though what you may mean? not like me, I'm, I'm a designer, I'm not a project manager, but I sure as hell know how to manage my time. And I still don't stay up all night working on projects because I get them done when I need to get them done. I don't wait until it's too late to get them done. So you're going to learn not to procrastinate because you're going well, really to get really managing your time. Yeah, I'm glad you said that last word. Because a lot of times the all-nighters, and as much as people don't want to admit this, all-nighters are usually a sign of procrastination or bad time management. Well, they and, are not and, a badge of honor, which they sometimes come across as. Everybody's, oh, you know, you know, in, in yeah. fact, it was I was joking about doing a five straight night wide awake just work session. And I was, I, I, I even told them, I'm like, as much as that sounds like, oh, wow, you stayed awake for five straight days. No, that wasn't a good thing. That yeah. wasn't a smart thing. And it sure in the hell wasn't a healthy thing. I wasn't thinking straight. It took me a while to recover from doing that. At the time, I thought it was the only thing that I could do so I could get everything done that I needed to get done. You know, sure, I was balancing still being in the military at the time with school and stuff like that. But that wasn't really an excuse for what ultimately was the root cause of that. And that was my poor time management that I had to learn and I'm still learning how to be able to pull myself out of that. But yeah, I'm so glad you brought up that. Well, and I can I can tag on to that last one a little bit here and just say that, you know, when I said to learn how to prioritize, there there's not going to be too many things that should be like top priorities on your list, right? There should be one or two things, and that's how you prioritize, right? Otherwise, I mean, you can have a, a list of things to do, but if you cannot prioritize what the most important things are, you will end up procrastinating on something else. So I just think it's worth pointing out that once you start thinking about what your priorities are, the picture becomes clear of what you have to do and, and get done. And so it can be a, a relative term, but ultimately it means making decisions. And then one way that a lot of people do this is they work backwards, right? You you figure out when everything's due, and then you start deconstructing the whole thing. And that's actually where I was going to go with a little bit more on what I've learned post school and my multiple projects of project managing and and that's where we start we we look at the end date a lot of times that's the completion of construction and then we work backwards from there to determine when is the start of construction when do we need to submit for permit when do we need to submit for bids and then just kind of keep working backwards till we get to now I'm here right now at my start date and every project in architecture school has that same thing. 
you know when the project's going to be done. You probably will know when there are intermediate submissions or presentations. And so what you need to do is dissect the project and keep working backwards until you get to the start date and figure out what you need to do to slowly navigate through and only do what is necessary to get to each of the different milestones. Because if you try to do too much, not only will you miss a milestone, but it'll just set you up for failure all the way down. And so setting yourself up to just take the little, I mean, we, we've talked about this when we were talking about establishing goals and rather than trying to reach the ultimate pinnacle goal, get the bite-sized goals. Well, that's the same thing with project management. And that's the same thing with managing yourself through school is go for the little bites. Don't take too Chip much. away at exactly. it. Exactly. Yep. Chip away. You can't talk with your mouth full. So take little bites. Little bites. <laughs> so yeah, you, you definitely have to learn how to prioritize, which I think a lot of times means saying no, right? Which usually in architecture school comes to fruition in your social life, right? You're, you have yes. to learn to say no. And I, and I basically said no to everything for... I went into hiding for five years so that I could accomplish architecture school, which is a little contradictory to one of the points I want to bring up. But if you say yes to everything, you are going to get pulled in too many directions and nothing will be done well if that's what happens. So this is also plays into multitasking. It's it's never been something I've been good at. I keep trying and I still suck at it. Yeah. And so when, when you're chipping away at things like we were just talking about, I think it, it makes sense to chip away at specific things for chunks of time. And that's really, I think when you're working in a creative field like this, there's a really good article out there called... Uh, Maker Schedule, Manager Schedule um, by Paul Graham. It's totally worth reading if you look it up online. I think it's published on on Paul Graham's website. I'll, I'll try to find a link for that for the, for the show notes. But it basically talks about the difference between how managers think and how creators think. And it's talking in a professional setting. But I think it totally applies to, if you look at the creative side of it, which is mostly what architecture school is about. You know, obviously it depends on what school you go to. But we're talking about design studio here. So I think it makes sense for people to concentrate on specific things for solid blocks of time. I mean, today is a world that we the world that we live in is full of distractions, right? I don't know how I would survive architecture school if I had a smartphone in my pocket. Right. But really like shut the damn thing off and concentrate for 3 hours, get a solid block of time and finish the model, right? Like just do the model first and then work on your drawings after that and then work on the presentation after that and really think about it like I this is how I tend to treat my whole life now is in these compartments and the only way I make any progress on the compartments is to chip away at them but in solid chunks there's no way I can work on three projects at once I can work on one project at once and if I can get 45 minutes at it I will accomplish a whole hell of a lot because I, I focus on it and concentrate and I think that that makes a lot of sense when you're in architecture school is, you know, concentrate first on what you're good at. Like you're not going to do everything really well. Like I was pretty good at building models and I was pretty good at drawings. And I think I found what I was best at was communicating. So I would actually kind of subconsciously and consciously work on the story. And then when it came time to present, I could present really well because I was a good communicator, even though my model and my drawings weren't necessarily up to snuff. So I worked the most on the thing that I was best at. And that paid dividends for me when it came to review time. You know, I'm kind of glad that you said that because one of the things that we tend to do in school is try to always complete everything. 
And one of the things that I've noticed that we do in practice is we purposely leave things undone so that we can set up the next conversation. Yeah, that's what I call you call call parking down on the downhill slope. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like yeah, you you purposely leave it undone because the next time you know exactly where to start. Right. And so what I think and I don't know if this is a a culture that was created by the professors or if it's just something that we as students tend to do or or what it is but i think that the professors should more encourage leaving projects undone in the intermediates leading up to i'm not saying for the final presentation of your final project or things like that but throughout all of these different processes let it stay loose let it stay open let it really flow a little bit so that you can have these conversations so that you can develop your project more and really kind of push it a little bit better. These are things that are essentially the staple of schematic design meetings with clients and user groups and things like that where you've got a direction, you've got an idea, but you really kind of want to push them forward in one way or the other with all of their input. So rather than finishing it up, you kind of go in there with primers for a greater conversation. And we don't and we don't seem to teach that in school, and I don't know why. And I, I think that that would take a lot of stress and a lot of these all-nighters and mismanagements and things like that off of students when they know that all of these intermediate submissions aren't necessarily about the finished product. They're about where you're going with the project at the end. Yeah. H hang on to that thought. Let, let's jump back into the that part because I, I definitely have something to say about that when uh, let, let's talk about our cat real quick here. So what's the one thing we all do in our practice? We search the internet for content, right? Well, we want to let you know about rcat.com, longtime sponsor of the show. And rcat is an online resource devoted to bringing content to the building professional. They have huge libraries you can access and they don't hit you up for subscriptions. There's no fees and they don't make you register on their website to download the content. We've all been there. You finally find the right file and you get blocked with a registration pop-up and you think, thanks for wasting my time. I'm going to go somewhere else. And so our cat's BIM library is really second to none and available in just about any format you need. In fact, their entire BIM library is formatted for the last five versions of Revit. Their CAD detail library has thousands of CAD details. And if you need specs, the RCAT library is the most consistent library you will find. Every single spec is written in the CSI three-part format. There's so much more on their site, including catalogs, videos, and Spec Wizard. Cormac, you know all about Spec Wizard, do you not? Absolutely. They just kind of, sort of helped me out with some horizontal cable railing. Nice. It's a, it's a lifesaver at times, right? So head over to rcat.com. You can also download their app. They are mobile as well. And uh, check it out on the App Store or the Google Play Store. It's a great free resource, and you don't have to register to use it either. Check out RCAT today at ARCAT.com. And don't forget, you can provide feedback on their website. So if there's something that you wish RCAT did or did better, let them know. They would love to get feedback, especially from ArcaSpeak listeners. So if you look on the right side of every page, there's a button. You can make suggestions to make RCAT better and what you want it to be. So tell them that ArcaSpeak sent you when you go to ArcaSpeak.com. And thanks, ArcaSpeak, for sponsoring this episode of ArcaSpeak. All right, so I wanted to jump back into that idea that you were just kind of talking about, which was, well, something I honed in on there 
was knowing the basic idea of the project, like yeah. really knowing it. So think about this in, in capital letters, because it is more important than finishing any one of those pieces that you were talking about. It is way more important if you can communicate your powerful idea, even think of it kind of like as an elevator pitch or think of it as components that you can use to build the conversation, because that is going to be way more engaging to a jury in the end then your model obviously can't stand on its own and your drawings can't stand on their own. You have to use everything together. So if you can communicate the basic idea of the project and it can be incredibly clear, that is going to be way more powerful uh, than spending all of your time making perfect models and perfect drawings. If you can point at things and reference things that help fill in the gaps of the story that you're telling, I think you're going to have a much better crit when you actually go for that final review. And I think that goes all the way through the semester. That's not just the final review, but it's all about the ideas, right? Well, I mean, it it even extends into the profession, what we do on a daily basis. But it's it's interesting you say that because so when I was in this, I guess I can call it, I'll I'll call it a jury just for the conversation's sake. I'm not quite sure what it was, but the, the student presentations that I sat through that I was talking about earlier. So one of the presenters had a lot of really good information and they were presenting it in, in this is a picture and, and, and then here's my plan and here's this and here's that. And they were going through so quickly and there was a lot of information that they were forgetting how, or they weren't helping themselves by a few different things. First, they didn't feel very confident in how to present which is understandable, and that that's something that just comes with time. That's something you learn how to do, yeah. It's something that you learn to do. But they didn't feel more importantly, and you, you, you said it best, is they didn't feel confident with what they were presenting. And they didn't feel confident in really understanding the project that they were trying to present. It's their project. They did it. They're the ones who put all of this work into it. But they had absolutely no clue of what the <laughs> hell they were presenting. Well, and it does suck if you don't believe in the idea that you have basically married yourself This is to, true. Right? And sometimes that happens along the way when you're doing a project and all of a sudden you're like, wow, this idea really was complete BS. <laughs> and, and, and now you wish you could do something else. But it does make a big difference when and, – and so that's why you know if you take this seriously and you really own your ideas – that it is so much easier to have that confidence when you actually go to present that idea in the end. Make that part of your story. And that's Kevin, it. Right. That's I it, mean, Neil. if you've gotten so far down the road that maybe this isn't working out and you can't, you don't have time to completely redo it, but maybe you have some time to make adjustments. But you could talk about the merits right. that got you there. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of ways. And, and, that's the, that. and that was the key. That's the key word, Neil, is, is that it's the story you're trying to tell. All of this imagery and, and all of this other data and information that you're, that you have all of that should just be a backup to the story you're trying to tell them. And let your words, let let the images just kind of support the words that you're saying. Keep eye contact with who you're talking to and, and really kind of convey to them the confidence in the information that you're presenting to them. And let, let all of that stuff just kind of be a backup and support. But let the story do the work. And, and I think... Everybody is so hyper-focused on the content of what they need to pin up on the on the board or put in their PowerPoint or, or whatever 
that they they leave behind the most important thing is the story to tell and so and it falls apart when they're actually telling it and that's typically where the professors always love to dig in and like tear people apart and things like that a lot of time <laughs> no that's <laughs> their job we don't know that do <laughs> but i mean where where they should be tearing into people is instructing them and not necessarily tearing in but at least instructing them on the merits and the value and the the importance let's let's, let's rephrase it the importance of the story and less about all of the pretty pictures. Let me throw something out here because I, th- I think you're right, but I think that there's a there is a nuance to this, which is think think about how movie trailers are made, right? The yep. movie's not done yet, and there's a bunch of little pieces, and what they say is you know, a lot of times the trailer's better than the movie, right? They use all the right lines in the trailer. They've got the best scenes. You know, you basically they say you've seen the movie if you've seen the trailer, and the trailer's what. 30 seconds to two minutes, right. right? It's nothing. But look how much value we get out of the trailer. I mean, it's it, it creates this huge anticipation for the movie. It's exciting. It's all about, like, telling the shortest story possible. You think about the, the way the narrator asks you to imagine things and, and go to another world for a minute and believe like you're a piece of it. And, and to me, like, that's yeah. kind of yeah. what we do when we present these projects. And so... To me, like, it, it actually, the pretty pictures that matter are the ones that yes. support the story. Yeah. And that's it. And so there could be requirements to do lots and lots and lots of drawings. But I will tell you from experience that it almost doesn't matter what the requirements are. Because if you can tell a good story and support it with the right images and the right plans or whatever the drawings are that are necessary to show it or the right model, for instance, maybe that's all you need. Right. And so that is also something to consider when you are thinking about how you're going to tell your story is how are you going to communicate it? How are you going to back it up with all these other things? And is it really going to matter if you don't have all four elevations or if you don't have two sections or four sections through the building? If they don't tell the story, if they don't support the story or at least lead the conversation to go where you want it to go during your critique, because really the goal is, number one, is to present your ideas and get good feedback. But number two is to see where the project could have gone to see where it could go to see like what kind of good feedback can you get to do it better next time and usually that doesn't come down to just fulfilling all those requirements right that comes down to and while, while there's definite value to learning how to get a lot done within a certain deadline it's probably more valuable to your education to be able to support a really good narrative i made this comment in that jury about the the problem with architects in general, both in school, in practice, and everything else, is, is we do all of this work to get to a solution, and we feel, I don't know, almost obligated to show everything. Well, hell, I did it, so I'm going to show it. It's yes, yeah, and I don't know why. I don't know why we do this. It's you know because we could have a ten-minute presentation, but we're like, well, but I did forty minutes of work, so I'm gonna I'm gonna drag you through that forty minutes to then get to the finale of the last two. I was like, how about give me the ten minutes with the finale of the two? Because then the value of all of that 
is the conversations that come after it. Show, show me the trailer. Exactly. Right? Show me the damn trailer. It's a trailer Let's version. Get there. Exactly. <laughs> show me the Cliff's notes. Another tip I wanted to throw out there. Uh, I mean, all all of this, first off, is really good information, and I think very, something very important to think about. Not only if you're in school or going back to school and surviving school, but I think this is also very important information to everyone out there to succeed in their career. Being a planning commissioner and listening to presentation after presentation after presentation by architects and developers that are in front of the planning commission I see so often exactly what you were just talking about a, mon- a moment ago about here's my plan, here's the elevations, here's this. It's like, oh, boring. You're like, yeah. you're like, get me excited about this project. Yeah. Give me a reason to vote yes. Well, that's the, that's what I was gonna say is you you could ha- you could have two different people present the same project and one will pass the planning commission yes. and one will fail it and it's the mm-hmm. same project exactly exactly tell me a story get me excited about wanting to approve your project or you know i may have a different opinion but at least make me a part of it make me uh you know tell that story and so i think you know, this is all really critical information for whether you're in school or after school, just super important. Uh, so yeah. I, I agree, Neil. And, and if you're not excited about it, how do you expect someone else to get excited about it? Exactly. 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 Yeah. That's a big, huge point, right? If you are sleepy, if you're falling asleep and you're disheveled and, and you're just there like drooling and you're trying to present a project, it, it is going to go nowhere. It is going to yeah. fall totally flat. I don't think I've ever mentioned this one on the show, but I think it was one of my third year design classes. The professor, the night before our crits will all be in the next day, right? At some point at the end of the uh, quarter, he actually came back to class at like 10 o'clock that night, or maybe it was nine o'clock that night and made us all go home. It's like, that's it. We're done. You are done. That's the deadline is now. And you are all leaving the, leaving the studio and I'm going to lock the door. I mean, we all had keys, but it's like, I'm going to lock the door and you guys all go home, get a great night's sleep and come back tomorrow morning and be fresh and prepared for your crit. Right. I mean, yeah. And so, yeah, that goes back to having some sleep, right? They've done the same thing at Cal Poly. Now all the seniors turn in their thesis projects and then they have a few days off before they present them because it's just, it it actually sets people up at least to have the opportunity to succeed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. right. Because right. otherwise it, it can be disastrous for people because they do know people kill themselves over these projects and these presentations. And so still let let people work as hard as they want to work as late as they want to work, but at least allow them to be fresh when they actually pitch it so that it can be as good as it can be. It's actually funny yeah. go, going back to the confidence thing at this jury, one of the girls who was really both of the presentations were really good strong presentations but there were just those things that you kind of picked up on and the very first thing is just like and this is my plan it's not really good i'm i'm not sure i really like it you're like oh exactly oh, you're me. like i didn't really finish this part and uh this this doesn't really work yeah oh stupid oh and my, oh i i felt so I felt so bad for her because I was just, oh, I wish I could just take that and just push it back. Pretend that nobody heard you say that. Never, 
talk about the negatives. Never. And so I, so I was like, gave a great presentation and you, and, and you can see that you feel the confidence in your project, but please keep all of the negative parts out. Just if you, if you truly believe Forget that him. this plan sucks, who cares? You can keep it in the back of your head yeah. that you think that this plan sucks because what may suck to you may be something that a client is really looking for. And the dialogue between what you have is the problem and what they really think is the success, that's what's going to make it better and maybe convince you that it is actually a good project or whatever. But don't sit there and tell anybody that your project sucks because then they're going to say, yeah, you're right. It sucks. And then you're never, you're never <laughs> yeah, going to make next. up. You, you'll never be able to regain that footing. All right. I, I have a few more like just practical things that I think I, I used to tell my students all the time when I was teaching, which was when does the printer run out of ink? <laughs> when you need when, it. Yeah, when the project exactly. is due. That's when it runs out of ink, right? So practical stuff is get your, if, if you can get a piece of your presentation done early, do it. Get it done early because that last minute run and they're out of ink at Staples when you need it is going to really be terrible. Or when you take your file to the model shop to get laser cut and there's a line 20 people long because you waited mm-hmm. till the last minute. So that's when you, you cannot wait until the end to do everything. So I actually used to do things in the opposite order that everybody else did. Like if everybody else was drawing, I would be building my model because I knew if I went to the to the supply store, I could get what I needed. And I knew that if I was going to laser cut something, I would be able to laser cut it because no one else would be doing it. So if if everybody is zigging zag right like don't do what everybody else is doing because there is always going to be kind of a huge percentage that all kind of does things exactly the same methodical way every semester so that's a a big uh, tip is don't procrastinate what did did we say uh, a few shows ago is uh, perfection ship it yeah back perfection oh yeah that's that's what what i meant to say what was that again (laughs) (laughs) exactly too late now but you know i mean there's something don't work to the very end you know what if it's almost there it's there enough it it really is let your let let your presentation do the rest of the work get done and get that you know get that sleep does that work for submitting construction drawings to the city honestly yeah (laughs) just wondering <laughs> this is back to school. Oh, okay. All right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Don't go Come real on, on us. Okay. I've, I've got two more here. The, and this one saved my life when I was in school because I used to play hooky all the time and go snowboarding. And so my tip is do other stuff. Don't only do architecture because it really will free up your brain to do some thinking oh, yeah, and yeah. processing. And when you get out there, go outside, go ride a bike. Go snowboarding, go mountain biking, go for a walk. Like, it doesn't matter. Get fresh air, and that will free up space in your brain, and it will get your blood and your lymph moving again so that you can actually uh, accomplish your tasks when you get back to your your computer. You got fresh air. I got fresh Guinness. (laughs) (laughs) So I say say go ride a bike. You say go drink a beer. Yeah. All right. Yeah, to each their own. And so I think that kind of plays into my my last one. That I'll just stick with this one as my my final survival tip, which is I guess I already said it a little bit. It's just look at everything. Don't 
just get stuck in architecture. I mean, if you are uninspired and you don't know what to do, do not go to Arc Daily. No. Open a graphic design book. Go to a car blog. Go watch a documentary on Netflix about food or chefs or cars or anything, like just anything except architecture. Take a walk around campus. Take your inspiration from everywhere so that uh, you don't produce something that looks just like your neighbors. I think... uh, Every, anytime you've got a classroom full of people designing the same project, like, I, first of Ugh. all, it is amazing how many different designs yeah. can come out of that. <laughs> but at the same time, there is a lot oh, of sharing yeah, yeah. going on and a lot of the, the look of the moment exactly. as well. So get other uh, inspiration whenever you can. All right. So I've got two. Okay. One, and this comes from something that we talked about a long time ago in just kind of professional presentations. It was really interesting to see these uh, these presentations is make it simple. Don't over talk. Don't make it so filled with so much archy babble or archa speak. Arca yeah. speak. Oh yeah, that's right. Name of our show. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> don't fill it full of exactly. just the juxtaposition and the dichotomy and this and that. If you want to see someone's eyes roll. Oh yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and do that. But they will write you off as soon as they can. Yes, we're giving a presentation for fellow designers and architects and things like that, and your professors and architect, and, and that's what you're giving a presentation for. And it sounds great to them, but really the presentations that you should be giving in school, they actually should be your stage to help you learn how to give presentations to your clients and your clients don't speak the way we do they speak a little bit simpler than than we do or they've got their own different um focuses and things like that so speak simply be clear be confident on exactly what you want to present and just move forward with it don't overfill it don't overthink it because a lot of times when you're overthinking to find that big word to impress somebody that's when you start to stumble and that's when the confidence starts to fall apart and and you can just kind of see the whole thing unravel because you're trying to dazzle people with big words and simple would be better yeah usually that means you're trying to like cover something else up right like you're trying to take the attention away from from something else to focus on on, right. on what you're talking about and and so yeah, just keep it simple. I like that. K-I-S-S, right? Keep it simple, stupid. And so the next one is, and this is something that we never do, both in the profession, or it seems, well, maybe in the profession, yes. But in school, we're so hyper-focused on the students we're with and the professors that are teaching us that we never actually look to the profession for help sometimes. And... Don't be afraid to reach out to architects and just, you know, talk to them about how they would go about doing some projects and stuff. And I mean, we, we work together as a group, as a whole with engineers and designers and landscape architects and clients and everybody else through this Morpheus of a project, go ahead and do that in school. Why not? Why not go and talk to somebody else and, and get their opinions and their ideas and their thoughts and, and not just kind of think that you have to come up with the invention of the wheel. Because there are other people who've actually worked on the wheel. Neil's one of them. Um, <laughs> and you can learn. Really? <laughs> you can learn a lot from them. Take credit, Neil. Take credit. Like, that was exactly. a pretty cool invention. Just own We it. all use it now. Own it, right? <laughs> yes. Own it. Own it. Own that simple idea. <laughs> 
So what I'm saying, though, is look for the experience of other people. I mean, don't just try to work in a bubble and work on your own. Your silo. Yep, yep. I think that's great advice. Yeah. Reach out to us on Twitter, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, hell, talk to us. I mean... <laughs> We Ar- can all use a distraction. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. com. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I Just a couple of little little things here at the end, um, or, or at least for me, is draw. Practice hand sketching. Sketch. Get out and... and Communicate your ideas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, you can do that through drawing. And it may be an older idea. Maybe you're not going to use it all the time, but I think it's important. And it, I think it's it can be important because sometimes it's not easy to, when you're talking with either a professor or a colleague or a classmate, to sit at the drawing or sit at the computer and go, oh, well, let me model that. It's like, you know, I can sketch that in just a couple of seconds. I, I think I've maybe yeah. have told the story before on the show where I had a professor that would call us around in a group and show us some slides as inspiration of things that she was pulling from ideas that we all had maybe from our project throughout the quarter. And she would say, okay, this is a one minute sketch go. Hmm. Sometimes another slide would come up and she'd go, okay, 15 second sketch, sketch the essentials of what this slide is, whatever building or monument or thing was on this slide. You have 15 seconds, sketch something. And it's, great practice actually to figure that out so i'd say those couple of things learn how to draw sketching and and practice at it right i mean it's just not not everybody is god given talent to just do that right i mean it just, it takes lots right. and lots of practice right cormick <laughs> and also too i'd say lettering learn how to letter be able to do that i think it's important Some, you're always going to not always going to be taking uh, typing your no. notes Right. So you, know, you might, might write be working well. on a whiteboard or yeah, I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of uses for that. I, on the sketching one, I, I have had the experience, especially lately, the last episode was about favorite tools and I talked about the iPad and the pencil and I, I've had the cool thing about that is that, you know, when you hook it up to a projector, you basically have a giant sketch pad all of a sudden. And I've been able to use it in interviews for like real world applications here and you guys know what it's like to communicate through drawing when you're just sitting with somebody and you're drawing something out and they get kind of mesmerized by it. And obviously, I'm kind of talking about non-architect right. people here. This is such a valuable skill. People fall in love with watching oh, yeah. you yeah. draw. <laughs> and if you know how to draw, and the only way, just like Neil just said, is through practice, anybody can draw with practice. This is not something that people are naturally talented with. I mean, there's a few people, but for the most part, it is a learned skill. It's not a talent, right? So I think that it is one of those things where you can communicate with a pen or a pencil in your hand and draw the idea in front of them. It communicates more than just the lines on the page. It tells a story. It's very meaningful for people. So I totally back you up, Neil, with this This. Uh, this survival skill. I think it is yeah, a survival is. skill. Very much so. And it is something that a lot of people are just letting letting go by the wayside. But it's not as fun to watch somebody model. I mean, it's way more fun to watch somebody communicate through drawing, I think. And really loose sketches can communicate a lot. Just like you said, Neil, it doesn't have to be a complicated model that gets built uh, and then rendered and then presented when it can just be done in 30 seconds in a sketch. It's, it's a pretty amazing uh, so, tool. So let me just kind of 
throw this in there on and you 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 had said that people watching you sketch and stuff like that they can just kind of get mesmerized so a couple days ago went out for a day trip to a project site and on the way back i don't know why i, I just seem to have this habit now of sketching on the plane while I'm flying back, you know, and it's shaking around and all this other stuff. And I guess it's just kind of a way for me to kind of, I don't know, hone or do something differently. Maybe a lot of times I draw too tensely, you know, or, or, or try to be too precise. And this is a way for me to kind of get out of trying to be so perfect in what I'm doing. Uh-huh. And so I had this guy who kept like turning around um, he was in, you know, I was, I was on the aisle and he was on the aisle, but a couple of seats ahead of me and he kept like turning around and kind of like watching me in. And, and then the lady next to me kept watching me. <laughs> What's he doing and back there? The, um, one of the, uh, stewardess, they, she kept coming up and kind of like looking and, you know, pointing down at my sketchbook and stuff. And so I literally had like a, an audience of people and I could hear a couple of people behind me who could see over my shoulder that watching me do all of this stuff. And, and though I wasn't intentionally trying to draw on stage, it felt like I was drawing on stage and, and had a captive audience of, you know, at least a good six, seven people kind of like paying attention to it. And so then the plane lands and you know, I'm putting all of my stuff away and take my headphones out. And, you know, people are like, oh, that's amazing. Just I saw you pull out your book and and it was just a blank page. And, 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 and then look what it looks like now. It's amazing. I was just like, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, definitely. That's very cool. I I think that having that ability to just turn a blank page into something is something that everybody struggles with at some point, right? And and it's a skill that you can get through just by doing, right? Just open the sketchbook, put a mark on the page and start there. And, and, and And you run with it. And the more you do that the the less intimidating the blank page and, becomes. And if you think about it, it's what we do in architecture. We turn that blank page into something. Yep. That hopefully gets built, right? Yeah. Exactly. All right. Cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, hey, before we go, I want to sh- give a shout out to Arcat. Make sure you check them out at ARCAT.com and thank them very much for sponsoring this episode of Arcuspeak. And for links to our catalog of episodes, visit our website at ArcuspeakPodcast.com. At the site, you can also sign up for our newsletter that will include just the links to everything we mention, along with our friends of the show and other things like that, but nothing else. We don't send you anything else, so don't worry about that. Between episodes, feel free to join the conversation by leaving comments at our website, again, com, or even on our Facebook page, which has been blowing up lately. I can't believe all of the people that have been liking our Facebook page, so big shout out to all the people... Uh, paying attention on the Facebook page or even on Twitter. We like to engage uh, on our own individual Twitter accounts and the Arcuspeak, which is A-R-C-H-I-S-P-K because Arcuspeak podcast is too many letters for a Twitter account. So make sure you find us there. Links to all of those can be found at visiting the site again, arcuspeakpodcast.com. And everyone, thanks for listening and good luck in school this year. Yep. Good night. Good night. Good night. You have
have to walk it You can start now Or you can hang your head in despair The only road will take you there Cross that face, baby, let's pretend. 